welcome to another edition of Unplug It as we reflect on round six of the 2020 season. It's been mostly pretty smooth sailing over the course of the first five weeks of the season. There was a glitch against Collingwood and, and obviously that, that pesky COVID 10-week break. But ever since the second resumption, it had been pretty good until we hit a submerged log at quarter time on Saturday against Fremantle, a game that was effectively shot to bits. Uh, we have actually lost from further in front against Fremantle before, back in 2002, but a fairly disastrous day. And for anyone who follows us on social media, I, I in particular, I was particularly negative and down in the dumps. I think I was declaring season over uh, after that particular game. But we've probably mellowed a little bit since then that the response of the club uh, has been you know, strong but, but fairly resilient. So hopefully we see that on Monday, but a, a bitterly disappointing loss to a, a Fremantle side that we led by 37 points uh, early in the second quarter and still led by five goals late in the first half. Uh, drew level in the last quarter, but a, a very, very tough loss to take. Uh, we are here for uh, Andy's Doggy Daycare at 4 Rickard Street in East Brunswick, and they are open through COVID as well for those of you that, that are working and need uh, daycare for your pooches, you can head on out there. You can check them out on Facebook at Andy's Doggy Daycare or andysdoggydaycare.com.au online to see Shane and all of the team. But uh, Nick, to you, first of all, uh, it was really impossible at quarter time to fathom what was going to happen next. It was devastating. I, I was in line for you know a 150-point win at that stage. I th- we, we were all over him. We were moving the ball quickly we were sharp we we were just running on top of the ground we, we were ahead of them at every contest hit the ball hard we were tackling hard barely dropped a mark we we're hitting targets we we're kicking goals it's impossible to see impossible to, to, to see what was going to come next and that was uh devastating i think you, you're not the only one who, who gave them a bit of a spray on on socials after the game that was uh incredibly difficult to watch and, and to stomach that and something to be said about Fremantle and I think we should probably just never play them again because something always happens when we play them uh, it's just we shouldn't be allowed to play them and, and just call the game off just forfeit just give them the four points it's just enough, enough is enough like that, that's that's legitimately how I felt after the game on on uh, on the weekend and uh, like you said mellowed a little bit had a few beers and a few whiskeys and a few wines and potentially a few more uh, since then, but, uh, oh, I'm still I'm still drinking now. But, uh, yeah, look, it was devastating. It was devastating. Hey, um, yeah, I guess we've we've got a group where we sort of discuss the games as they're unfolding, given we can't watch them together at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I can't imagine. I mean, live markets tell you one thing. I think we're a dollar two at quarter time, but you would have had to have travelled a long way to find somebody that could would have thought we could lose that game from there. Oh, absolutely. Um, Obviously, we're never expected to fly out of the blocks the way we did. That, that's that's not something we really ever thought we would see happen. But then I don't know whether it came a little bit to what I was leading leading to last week in the way that Freo have been up there for four weeks already, and we just haven't. I mean, yeah, we got off to a fly, but we hadn't settled into the actual location itself. I think, and they just pegged us back, pegged us back, and. Yeah, their conditioning, I think, got us in the end. So um would have been nice to have actually maybe had a couple of games up there in a row and then be looking at the Adelaide games. But, yeah, it's going to have to be a bit of a bit of an ask at Adelaide for two weeks now and travelling between them, which is going to be interesting too. What I was, so. I think, really disappointing from, from my end? I think putting aside the, the whole quarter time, you know, and, and the, the 
overwhelming um, disappointment of that performance after quarter time uh, is that, that we actually got back into it in that last quarter and, and kind of willed ourselves. We weren't playing well by any means. We still were playing terrible football, but we somehow willed ourselves back into a, a, a position to win the game and let it slip again. And, and that was what was really disappointing. I thought once we got to that point where, where we kind of, you know, back in it, there was a kick in it and then we drew level. I thought that, I thought that we'd, we'd get it back from that point. But uh, to, to let it slip again was, was really disappointing. But one thing I thought was really interesting was at quarter time, uh, we were at 98.3% chance of winning that game, according to Stats Insider's live model. Uh, and it's, it's remarkable that we dropped that game. Absolutely remarkable. Yeah, you talk about that last last bit when we've drawn level. Um, I think what I was looking at, I noticed a lot. Um, they showed behind the goal um, from the free end when they took the marketing hit the goal as the ball was coming down. Um, it looked like a lot of players sort of ran forward to be the hero. Oh yeah, that's they ended up with three players unmarked in our in their forward fifty. That, that make, should make you sick happen. in the stomach. Yeah, when, when Walters won the ball at halfback and kicked it forward, I think Akers was involved in that. But you just looked up and said, there's Freo players everywhere. You couldn't Everywhere. even see us and killed a player at that point. But yeah, I remember I was, I mean, I sort of put that loss up around the, the 99 Hawthorne loss in terms of level of extreme frustration yeah. of, of home and away games. Uh, I think the most painful home and away loss I've ever seen was the loss to Port Adelaide in 2017 when Robbie Gray kicked that goal on the siren because that probably cost us a spot in the eight. But that was... um. This is in the top three or four in terms of home and away losses. And the North loss in round one wasn't that far behind. But you sort of, you almost got over that because you thought, oh, footy's stuffed. We don't even know if we're coming back. Who cares? But now that we know that we're going to have a season and, and we're going to be around the mark, we're going to be, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You look at a loss like that, it's just a complete waste. And I remember I was filthy at, at three quarter time. And then, um, when they got three goals clear, I was filthy. And then when we levelled the scores, I was still filthy. I thought, even if we win this game, I'm going to be filthy because we, we completely butchered this opportunity. And then obviously to give up that late goal and, and lose was just really, really disappointing. And I remember thinking at the time that, you know, such a demoralising loss when you've just entered a hub and, and you're not going to get home for three months uh, would be the worst possible thing that could happen because Jaron Geary spoke during the week to the players saying, look, you're going to live in each other's pockets for a couple of months, which means you're going to annoy each other from time to time. And you've got to obviously find a way to work through that. And I thought, well, nothing's going to annoy you more than a loss like that. And maybe it would sort of tear at the fabric of the, the group. But I think they've responded pretty well. Obviously, we won't know their response until they play the Crows on Monday. But... um. Yeah, they've got to get back on the bike. There's still an opportunity this season. I think there's only two teams outside the eight now that can make the finals, and they're West Coast and GWS. We're in the eight. So um, there's two spots up for grabs. I think West Coast and the Giants will get in. It's just um, at whose expense they do it. Yeah, you kind of, I think both of you kind of hit the nail on the head. And I think, Parker, I messaged you at some point that night after the game and said, I'm going to give them a smashing on this week's podcast. And I uh, haven't really done that. As I said, I've kind of mellowed a little bit since then. But, uh, you know, I think, you, H, you, you talked about it, that that front-running ability in, in those last few minutes. Um, and, and, Parker, when you mentioned Walters. And, and Michael Walters, rightly so, gets a lot of credit for that kick. Um, that, that was a magnificent kick of the football. And, and, you know, gets a lot of credit for it, as, as he should. But where, where were we? Where were we? Like you said, H, everyone had run forward a centre. To, to kick that winning goal or to, or to you know, to, to, to score to win the game. Where, where were our guys? I think we had Wilkie and Carlisle and, and Howard with the last three, the last line of defence. And, 
they had everyone running forward at the same time. And so there were seven or eight guys that were absolutely free inside 50. And any one of them could have kicked, kicked that goal or scored to, to, to win the game. And um, what's going to be really interesting is to see how they come out in the first quarter on Monday. Uh, because you get the feeling that, that while it's been a, a really strong week from Ratton and, and the coaching team, it, it wasn't that kind of um, hairdryer treatment that, that would have happened in, in days of old, you know, whether it's Stan Alves or, or previous coaches, uh, probably Malcolm Blight as well. You know, when you, you come off a loss like that, you probably get smashed on the track that week. But it doesn't seem like yeah, everything coming out of the club this week, it, it doesn't seem like that's happened, but it has been a really stern, solid week where the, the, the law's been laid down to them. You know, and, and we saw the video where, where Rats asked them, you know, who do you want to be? Do, do you want to be a team that, that plays good footy some of the time and, and lets it slip? Or do you want to be a team that, that really makes your mark on a competition? And, and I think we'll see in the first 30 minutes, the first 20 minutes uh, on Monday night, what, what the response is. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how they come out. And I, I hope it's like the first quarter on the weekend because that, that shows how good we can be and, and what type of football we can play. But, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. I, I just want to get this week over and done with. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm interested to see whether there's any players made sort of example of this week and get dropped. And maybe we do bring in some younger kids. Um, for the, one, to give the maybe some older players a week off to going to Adelaide and then have a get them ready for the next week. It, it's... It's it's gonna be an interesting two weeks now. The do we do we make a statement? Do we go look? You weren't your best. Have a week off. You're gonna give someone else a go. If, yeah. yeah, there are blokes that are I guess senior players at the club that are that are struggling at the moment. Now, Severos has got credits in the bank. He's a best and fairest winner and a, and a vice captain, but he's he's struggling for his best form. Brad Hill's clearly struggling. And if you look at those two comeback games against North, he had ten possessions in the first half, one in the second. And against Fremantle on the weekend, he had four possessions in the second half. So, uh, unfortunately, the other high-prize recruit's been arguably the worst defender with us going missing uh, in big stages of games. I thought Zach Jones worked pretty hard, but um, there were others that, yeah, just just completely lost all run, lost all dare. Um, And, yeah, there there were some senior players amongst that lot, and and that's obviously where you want a bit of leadership. I thought Geary started well, but but sort of drifted, drifted out of the game. But, yeah, I mean... I don't think they're going to drop Ross. I don't think they're going to drop Hill. But they, they'd be two players that I'd be asking for questions of, that's for sure. It's, it's a big one because I think the way, that, the way that Ratton coaches reminds me a lot of how Grant Thomas coached. He's, he's a lot about the relationships and, and he wants to play good football as well. I, I see a lot of Tomo in, in, in the way Rats coaches. And there was obviously some, some famous moments where Grant Thomas made examples of some of those senior players. You know, Nick Del Santo dropped and, and Stephen Milne dropped. Uh, after after games where where they were, um, you know, potentially squibbing a contest or, or not hitting it hard enough and that sort of thing, and, and there are a few of those senior guys that, that you mentioned that that are doing just that. And during the game, you know, there were following on social media, there was a lot of uh, I don't know, concerns, probably the wrong word, but um, admonishing of guys like Hill and Ross for for not putting the head over the ball or not running hard enough and getting back on on defence and, and it's going to be interesting to see if, like you said, if, if Rats does make an example of some of those guys like a, a Seb Ross or, or a Brad Hill, you, like you said, it's hard to see them dropping Brad Hill because he gives us something that we don't have anywhere else. 
Um, but Ross is the interesting one because because he's clearly better than what he's shown. And, and even when we were playing good footy the last few weeks, he still wasn't at his best. And so I wonder if there's something, you know, something in the game style that doesn't suit him or, or maybe his role's changed, I'm not sure. But he doesn't seem to be playing his, his best and fairest capacity. Uh, maybe that it's, it's, he's got some better players around him now. But, um, yeah, it is a really interesting one to see whether whether there are senior guys dropped this week. I was about to say, it feels like he has been given a different role or something. It's not in the same spots we were seeing him in getting the ball in the previous couple of years. He's, he pops up and you go, okay, oh, where have you been? It's He just sort of shows up out of nowhere occasionally and then you don't see him for, say, another 10, 15 minutes. But it he had that presence sort of, I guess, in the middle of the field and then you'd see him quite often coming off the back line in last season. But this year it's like, oh, there he is on the wing. But yeah, I, I just don't know what he's actually what his position is this year. Yeah, it's, it's it is fascinating. But we'll obviously see what they do at the selection. I said at the time that you uh, listen to this podcast, those teams may have dropped. Obviously scheduled for about half past six on a Friday evening uh, for a Monday night game. But we'll uh, we'll try to find some votes out of that at that quarter time. Would have been just about everyone, but by the end of it. Probably hard to determine. I ended up giving three again to Jack Steele. I know he dominate the whole way through, but I thought in terms of effort and intensity around the ball, he was again our best player. I thought Tim Membry was was influential, uh, kicked three and, and pushed up the ground and, and got a bit of the footy. So I gave him two votes and, and the one vote was, was really hard. I know he had goals kicked on him to some degree, but I think in terms of his composure and effort, I did give Carl Wilkie a, a vote. He or Carlisle could have probably got the last one, but I went with uh, I went with Wilkie. So three steel, two memory, one Wilkie. H, uh, how did you go? Um, I actually gave three to memory. I, I think he, I felt like he really kept presenting even when most seemed like most of the other players were down at the time. Um, provided the target all day. Um, when we didn't have the ball, obviously he's a lot less ineffective. But as soon as we're getting, he was the first player we're kicking to, and he was able to actually get there to make the contest the majority of the time. As you say, three goals. Um, I, I couldn't really put anyone else ahead of him. Um, two, as much as he gets, as much as he gets sort of um, kicked around for his disposal and the um, what he's doing with the ball, but Gresham gets in there. He gets the ball out. He gets it forward. The amount of times he's getting the ball out of the middle and actually getting it into our forward line, which with the six forward, six back now, a kick straight out of the centre to the forward line is effective kick because you've got the one-on-one everywhere. You haven't got the flood. You haven't got the loose play. You haven't got this. So I, I don't understand the everyone basically digging in at the moment. What's what he, He's giving us first use. So, yeah, I'm, I'm giving him two. And, yeah, one to Jack Steele. A solid effort once again. Um, for, well, Still had a lot of the ball himself, but it just it just didn't feel like he was as maybe as effective as against Crips. I mean, his uh, his job probably went away halfway through the game because Fife ended up down forward for half a game. Um, and I don't know whether then he kind of went, oh, okay, who am I going to take now? But I don't think he took Walters. Walters seemed to get a lot of the ball in the middle. Um, yeah, not sure where he actually he uh, his job became after that though. Yeah, it's an interesting one on Seal because I, I thought he was our, our best player, but only 
for the fact that he he was one of the few that kept working when when everything was going against us when the tide was running over us he was he was one of the few that kept running and, and kept presenting and kept working hard he had 20 22 touches he is by far our, our highest possession getter for the day four clearances 370 odd meters gain he, he kept working even when everything was going against us uh two i gave to zach jones bit of an interesting one i think but you know, he only had 15 touches, but he did kick two goals and 401 metres gain. Just shows that he kept running, kept working that, that second half. One of the few that kept actually looking to attack when he did get the ball. And unfortunately, we didn't get it in his hands enough. Um, you know, once we got off half back and forward of centre, we just didn't give it to him enough um, for him to be effective late in the game. But he kept working, kept pushing it forward when, when not many of our guys were, were doing that. And we had the tendency to go backwards and, and chip sideways and that sort of stuff. He, he kept going forward. And, and actually, like you, I went Gresham one. I thought when, when the chips were down, he got stuck in. Uh, in that last quarter, he was really effective and really dynamic um, and really led that comeback. It's a shame that, that he didn't have many helpers because I thought that that if a few other guys had stood up in, in those key moments when Gresham did, that we probably get over the line in, in those last few minutes. But, uh, you know, I thought that was impressive. He, he's still a young kid and, and he's still learning that midfield role at senior level. He's, I think we forget how good he was as a, as a forward pocket and as a half forward in those first few years of his career. And, and he's now pretty much a full-time midfielder. Uh, and, and he's going up against guys that are much bigger than him, much stronger than him. And he's winning the ball. He's, he's playing hard, tough football. His disposal does let him down at times, I think, because he's, he's kind of, his brain moves quicker than the rest of him. And, and I think he gets under pressure when he, when he gets the ball at times. But uh, I, I thought he was impressive in, in his leadership for a young kid to keep working and, and keep banging it forward in those last few minutes and, and to really have an impact on the game was impressive for, for Gresham. So the one for him. And poor old uh, Max King missed a couple of chances in the second quarter. Had he had converted one or both of those, it's probably a good night at half. And Membry, Membry yeah. misses that one in the last quarter that he, he'd kick that oh, yeah. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, he, he never misses yeah. from there. So thankfully, we got the goal from the turnover. I think the aggression one, but that was when Butler sort of also sort of centered the ball when he was eight meters out and just had to kick a goal. But such was the frustrating nature of the day. But uh, we're now going to lighten it up a little bit with our feature guest on today's program. It's 252 game at Superstar, Justin Peckett. It's around centre half forward, and that's just about it. Great athletic work opens it up for Peckett. The open goal beckons, and he finds it. Kazinski can go to Burke, he will. And Nathan will mark and play on. And could he kick a goal from here? He goes along to the square, Peckett back there. McMahon the pressure, Peckett could be the hero! Justin Peckett! Well, it is our great pleasure to chat with one of uh, St Kilda's stalwarts from throughout the 90s and into the 2000s, a part of the 97 uh, grand final team, was runner-up in the best and fairest in that season, also finished third in the BNF in 1994 as a 250-game player for the Saints. And one of the more familiar faces over that era, I speak of Justin Peckett. And Frankie, thanks for joining us today. Uh, no worries. Uh, good to be here. Don't often hear the word Frankie either. So uh, it's always a bit of a blast from the past. We, uh, we spoke to Andrew Thompson last week, who was, a, I guess, a bit of a journeyman before he got to St Kilda or got his AFL opportunity. And I guess you were similar. You were a best and fairest winner in the under-19s. You'd been in the system at the Saints for a few years before getting your opportunity in 
1992. It was the one game that year, and then they, they started to come later. And I guess, like Tomo, you, you made the most of those opportunities. But can you take us through that journey through to your, your debut, I guess, in the early 20s, which would have taken a, a bit of time? Yeah, well, I um, I mean, I was part of the old system where the, the draft based on where you lived. So I grew up in Frankston and uh, was zoned to St Kilda and got an invite uh, when I was playing under-17s at Karingal, my junior club, um, as a 16-year-old to play in the under-19s, which I did in um, 89, that was, when I first went to the club. And, um, yeah, played uh, under-19s and reserves and then... Uh, Got a uh, an opportunity to play the seniors in round four, 1992, uh, against Hawthorne at Moorabbin. So it was quite a quite a big deal. Grew up a, a Saints supporter, as uh, all my family did. So um, it was pretty awesome to get a game. Um, it was a good win by the boys too. So we beat Hawthorne at Moorabbin. Um, but I only got about five minutes game time in the last quarter, um, uh, and so I uh, didn't actually touch the footy, um, and then got dropped uh, that week and didn't play another game in the seniors for that year. So I, I thought I might have been one of those guys that uh, had the one game and that was it. But uh, then 93, I, I think I played pretty much most games apart from a couple with injuries. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting start and um, um, uh, some highs there. But also, I, I guess, I, having spent so much time on the bench for that first game, I was starting to get a little bit shitty and uh, um, was almost at the point where <laughs> if you're not going to put me on for too long, don't worry about it. But uh, maybe that's why I didn't get a touch. But uh, uh, looking back, it was uh, it was a good time. But um, yeah, it wasn't until 93, 94 where I sort of started to get a regular senior game. Now, you mentioned that uh, you don't get it very often anymore, but where did the, where did the Frankie nickname come from? Um, from memory, uh, some guys at school, primary school, gave it to me. Um, I don't think it was overly complimentary uh, in terms of the reason why. Maybe I'm not sure. I can't quite remember. But um, it's just been something that stuck with me. When I went and played under-19s, um, the year after, in my second year, a number of sort of Kringle players came and played as well. And I think they just brought it with them and started calling me Frankie at the club. And then that, then it took off and got to the point where people were coming up to my mum after a game in the seniors and sort of say, and say to mum, oh, gee, Frank played a good game today. And she'd be looking at him going, what? what? And they, yeah, Frank played a really good game. She's going, who the hell's Frank? <laughs> Oh, Frankie. And she, oh, right. You mean Justin? And uh, anyway, it's just been a name that's, that's carried with me. And my youngest, my daughter, I've, I've called her Frankie. So um, I've passed that on to her now. So you had that point where you play down the 19s. You get up to the up to the list and not really, nothing's happening there. And you just moved on, played reserves. Was there a point there you sort of thinking, okay, you got that first game, as you say, after the, in 92, the points are going, okay, this is not going to happen for me, not going to happen for me. Once you dig that chance that in 93, did you really make sure that you stuck and you were in the team? Um, oh, look, yeah. I mean, I was, I was really grateful uh, to get another opportunity and I got some um, practice games at the start of the year and I, I went okay and I sort of thought, oh, I reckon I'm half a chance here to, to perhaps, uh, perhaps start round one in, in 93. And so, you know, back then, you know, I was a back pocket player and it, footy was a bit different in the in the early 90s to what it is now. And so you sort of played that position and, um, you know, I, I went okay. And so, you know, you don't think you're going to play the full season. You you, try, you do your best week by week. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're halfway through and you, you've cemented a spot, so, so, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just try to do the, the role that I was given on... on um, on uh, uh, each week and um, 
uh, lucky enough, was uh, was able to sort of hang around for for about another sixteen years. <laughs> Luck. Luck. You, certainly, you certainly did. But um, another interesting one, I guess, the evolution of your jumper numbers. You're one of very few players to have worn four different numbers at, at AFL level. You started obviously at 53, which is one of the highest numbers ever. I think Nicky Winmar wore 60 in a final uh, in '91 after getting his jumper torn. But there wouldn't be many higher than that. You then went to 29, which was a, a famous number at St Kilda, obviously. You graduated from that, so did Nathan Burke, Ozzy Jones, Andrew Thompson, Stephen Baker, so plenty of good players for 29. You went to eight and, and then to one. Can you sort of take us through the steps? Obviously, you couldn't go any higher once you got to one. No, I, um, I, I was really privileged to be offered the opportunity to wear the number one jersey. As I said, um, you know, I grew up a Saints supporter. I got photos of myself as a young kid with the Saints jumper on with Parks' number one on the back. Um, uh, so to get that opportunity was brilliant and I was never going to say no and knock that one back. Um, but yeah, I've had my time again. I'd probably, if I could, if it was possible, I'd keep 53 and I would have worn 53 for my whole my whole career. So um, I think the list size has got shorter and shorter. So 53 wasn't, wasn't uh, a number that you could have anymore. And um, uh, so, yeah, just again, at the end of the season or the start of the season, they'd offer up a, a number given who's, who's either been given the arse or who's retired. And, um, if you wanted to take it, you could. And so, I, yeah, I got offered a couple of jumpers. I said, yeah, sure, no worries. I didn't really give it too much thought at the time. Um, but looking back, yeah, I would have loved to have made 53 in my own and, and kept that for my entire career. And when I retired from the Saints, I went back and played at Kringle for six or seven years. Um, and they said to me, do you want number one? And I said, no, 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 give me the give me a high number. So they gave me 51. So that was, uh, I carried 51 around for, for 100 games at the Bulls and, uh, yeah, enjoyed wearing the, the bigger number. As a Saints fan growing up, what was it like walking into those change rooms and you got Plugger and Spud Frawley and those sort of guys? Yeah, as a, as a Saints fan, what's what's that like? Uh, it was oh, it was amazing. I mean, I was sixteen when I first got to the club, and um, uh, you know, just walking into Moorabbin, you know, the place where you go every Saturday with your family, and you know, all the all the shenanigans that would go on at the, at Moorabbin, and you as a young kid, you're sort of just sitting there and watching. Them. All of a sudden, you're in, inside the four walls, and you're, you're in the change rooms and you're in the showers and you're in the gym and you're, you're running on the oval. It was just, yeah, my eyes just lit up and how good's this? This is, um, you know, just brilliant to, to be able to be in inside the club and, and, and seeing some of the play. I mean, I didn't speak for the first couple of years as you, as you do when you're a young kid, but you just sit and you watch and, um, yeah, you, you, you know, I still had jumpers at home with, with player numbers on it or the duffel coat with the names down the arm and, you know, all of a sudden, you, yeah, you're in and amongst it. So it was, it was amazing, brilliant. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that I'm, I'm sure there's still some players that get to play at their club that they, they grew up barracking for, but it'd be um, few and far between these days. Now, in your first year, you basically talking about keeping place in the side. You actually led all rookies from that season in the way of tackles total for the league. Um, is that something that you concentrate on? Your pressure, your... Um, basically keeping your opponent down or is it was it just something that came along with the position you were playing in? Yeah, well, again, I think as a back pocket player playing on the forward pocket or the, you know, the resting rover as it was, um, my job was to just play tight on my man and defend and, you know, I'd, um, I didn't have any flair or anything like that. I was just a you know, youngish kid coming in and, and trying to find my way and learn my craft. So I thought if I could just stop my opponent from kicking goals and that'll, that'll keep me in the side. So 
it'd be interesting. I reckon my, my tackling stats would have got, got uh, worse and worse uh, with each year that went by. But I think as a, as a young kid coming in, it, you know, that, that was my role and that was my job. And um, uh, that's probably why my stats were up at, at that early stage. But um, once you get a bit more confident and you feel like you can just go and get the ball yourself, I, I think that, you know, for not everyone, but some of us, uh, the tackling might have uh, dropped off a little bit. Obviously, transition from Ken Sheldon to Stan Ells, third in the BNF in '94 that we spoke about. We've asked a lot of our guests because a lot of our, a lot of our guests played in the '97 Grand Final, and you're one of those. You kicked a, a terrific goal in the last quarter when we were just sort of hanging on, trying to, uh, to to stay alive in that game. But you had a terrific season in '97. I guess your memories of the year and and the run that that obviously saw us get oh so close. Yeah, it was interesting when you talk about the run. Um, I remember just driving to games, just so confident that no matter what was happening in the game, we'd end up winning. And it was an amazing feeling, you know, with that, that level of confidence. And, you know, we had some evidence because we had won a, a number of games. And so as we were running, getting that run into the finals, just the, 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 the joy and the confidence of just driving in to wherever we're playing and, and knowing that we're going to have a good day today. And you'd, you'd done the work, you trusted your teammates, and you knew that no matter what happened, we're a good chance to win. And so, you know, there's obviously clubs and players that have done that year in, year out for a long period of time. And it, I know how good it felt for that sh- shortish period that we were doing it. And I know the Saints sides of 2009 and 10 would have would have felt the same. Um, and then obviously, yeah, playing in the grand final was, you know, again, incredible and amazing and uh, greatest moment of your life. Um, and then by five o'clock, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. So... Um, yeah, it's it's something I've I've never watched it since. I um, don't talk about it all that much. Um, I've only just started being able to watch grand finals because it hurts so much to watch them, and um, you know it's one of those opportunities that was you know we'll, we'll never get again. And so um, yeah, incredibly disappointing. But um, yeah, I mean from a from where we'd been and to where we got to, it was significant and a um, bit of a basket case for a little while there as a as a club. Um, and then to be able to play some finals regularly was was outstanding. You you mentioned that feeling of you know, driving to the game and just just feeling like you're going to win no matter what. What what happened kind of halfway or, or three quarters of the way through 1998? I mean, a lot of a lot of teams suffer that kind of grand final hangover. I'm not sure that's something that can be um, talked about when you talk about St Kilda in '98 because we started 12 and four, and then kind of the wheels the wheels fell off. What happened after that point? Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, yeah, it was a complete reverse of what I was saying about '97. It was, and I, and I, I, yeah, it was, it was, and the opposition knew it too. And once we had that, was it against Hawthorne? I, I can't remember the, the the tipping point of where we it just it just got inside our psyche. And then you know doubts come in, and you you you're still training hard, and you still want to play well. And then all of a sudden something happens in the game, and you sort of in your head sort of go, oh, here we go again. You know, and, and so that then impacts the way you perform. And um, we just we just couldn't wrestle that back and enough to then get into the finals and, and, and be a fair income, you know, a, a fair income threat in, in the final. So I, I don't know what the actual answer is, but it was uh, disappointing, frustrating, uh, sad. It was a whole range of things the way that 98 um, finished up. And then on to 99, had Tim Watson come in. Um, again, started off the season really well. Drifted off a little bit towards the end there. Then 2000, we know that, that just went completely downhill. Um, were you at a point of your career there that you're going, okay, I'm just going to step up here. I'm a leader of the club. This, this is, I've got to start 
basically bringing these young kids through and getting them to help us out more and lift this club back up to where we want to be again. Yeah, I think it was, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not the most talented player, so I don't think that I was going to be able to drag them across, you know, on field in the way that I played necessarily. But but certainly, I guess, in terms of standards and the way we went about it, um, you know, during the week and um, how tolerant we were of, um, you know, poor performance or, you know, poor attitude or, you know, poor... Um, you know, commitment to training and all those sorts of things. I thought I could play a bit of a role there because um, I knew that even though I wasn't super old, but but my time I'm getting closer to the end, and so I became a little less tolerant for for you know um, doing things that perhaps were going to hold us back. So I think that was part of the role that I could play um, at the club, um, uh, and I think that the club started making some decisions which were quite brave and and um, were decisions that were going to help us. Um, get off the bottom and, and move forward. And I think what happened with, when you had that draft with, with Rui and Cozzi and a few of those young blokes started to come in, you know, um, Del Santo, Montagna and Goddard, I mean, that, that gave us all a bit of a lift because you got young, enthusiastic, talented kids coming in. So it, it does bring a, a bit of enthusiasm and a bit of, um, a bit of uh, drive and positivity. So um, um, I think all of that then lend itself to, you know, some of the performances we saw from the club in the, sort of mid-2000s. found it fascinating what you said before about obviously only just recently being able to, to watch grand finals. And I can tell you, you're obviously not alone with that. I mean, even as supporters, I mean, I I like grand final day because I, I sort of spend it with, with mates, but it's a very painful day, I think, for all of us associated with the club because of those memories that it, that it brings back. In 2009 and 10, when you had retired, the, the club played in grand finals again, and a lot of your teammates that you played with at the end of your career were still there playing in those games. Were you able to take those games in, and and I imagine in a way they might have brought back some of those some of those memories. Unfortunately, yeah, I um I wanted the club to do well. I wanted the club to win because obviously um, a second premiership, the Saints, is going to be one of the biggest things that's ever happened on the planet. So um, you know, if you can't be a part of it, you know, as a supporter, you support it. However, uh, I didn't watch them. Uh, on TV, and I've never been to a grand final other than '97 one physically. So, I, I always hosted barbecues at my house here and had all my mates over, and I'd do all the cooking and cleaning up, and just make sure everyone's having a good time. And I wouldn't watch the game. And it's only sort of been the last couple of years where I've sort of started to get a bit over myself and just you know, just start to watch it. And but I still get you know when they're when they're when the siren goes and you see them celebrating, you see them getting the medals and all that sort of stuff. That still that that still hurts. So. Um, so yeah, I haven't watched. I didn't watch any of the grand finals that Saints played in the, in nine and ten. And um, yeah, I don't know if I. Yeah, I, I think now I could if if the Saints get back there. But I think um, for a while there, I was yeah, wallowing in my own misery and feeling sorry for myself. Yeah, uh, de- definitely not alone. I think Paco, <laughs> you and you and H and myself and a few other guys have watched most of the last fifteen grand finals together. And you've seen Sydney and Richmond and the Bulldogs and all of them break their their drought. It's uh, Bittersweet, I think, most most grand final days. But um, going back to, to 04 and 05, you talked about the influx of, of talent with Rui and Dal and Cozzy and, and those guys. There's clearly more than just young talent coming through. There was there was a change in culture and a change in in, in style, I guess, of leadership at the club. And, and Grant Thomas takes over from Malcolm Blight. Rod Butters is president. What, what can you tell us about those days and, and what those guys did to, to change the culture at St Kilda? Yeah, um, 
so you, I think you had, you know, I can't remember what year it was, but you had Hamill and Gehrig and um, a couple of other senior players in Lawrence and Capuano. And so, you know, the, the, I guess the, the makeup of the list changed and you had some guys that um, were good at their craft and, and um, brought some experience with them. And then you had those young kids as well. And I think, you know, Grant Thomas was, was the right coach at that right time because, um, you know, he's very nurturing, very family orientated, um, treated the players as his, his own, just like his own kids. Um, and, and that sort of built a really strong club environment, uh, very inclusive, very supportive. Um, and they had some really uh, top quality assistant coaches. So, you know, from a club perspective, we're making some really good decisions around personnel, which clearly has a big impact on culture. Um, you know, there's a lot of player ownership as well, which which I think is always a good thing. So, you know, empowerment, allowing players to take more of a lead and um, a bit more ownership over their performances and the way that they prepare. You know, um, you know my last three years, um, we went on some really amazing pre-season camps, um, you know, for long periods of time. So, you know, um, you know, three to four weeks in London or South Africa or in China and you know, you, you get to do so much as a group, um, build your relationships, really get an understanding for each other, you know, work on your game plan, work on your fitness, have a few beers together, and, and you just become a bit more of a tighter group and, and we're able to transfer that into the way that we played our footy. So, um, you know, it wasn't perfect, um, but where we had been, uh, particularly in that sort of middle period with um, um, our performances, it, it just enabled us to, to I guess, galvanise, get together, and make some commitments. And, um, you know, I thought Tomo was a good coach for us in that period. And uh, we had some good players, obviously. We've always had good players as a club um, for the last 100-odd years. But um, we just started to play better team footy, which was which was very enjoyable. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to hang on. I think I signed about four or five one-year deals towards the end because I didn't want to miss out. And I thought we are half a chance. And, you know, Tomo, I used to do my own contracts towards the end. I didn't have a manager. And he'd say to me, well, you're not our best 25. And I said, well, I don't care. I'll just keep training and I'll be there for when you need me. And um, I know what I can do. And if I can add some value, I will. And I'd rather do that than be sitting at home and hearing about you guys playing in finals and grand finals when, when perhaps I could have still been there. So it was, it was a good time to be part of the club. And I, I feel that when I left, um, you know, the club was in pretty good hands. So um, I really enjoyed that sort of latter, latter part of my career, even though I was sort of a bit player and I'm off the bench or, you know, missing games, um, that sort of thing. So it was quite enjoyable. So one-year contract, that sort of thing. It's, it's partly known that apparently a group of you got together in the older group of the club in the end of 2005 and basically came together and said, we're going to go one more time. Um, is there much truth to that? And who was, who was in that group? And was it round beers or was it actually in a gym going, no, we can still do this? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. If it did happen, I wasn't invited. So maybe they didn't want me to stick around for that extra year. But um, I remember there was a few of us that were injured in the Bonds game. Um, I can't remember if that was 2005. It might have been. Prelim. Um, yeah, the prelim. And um, we're all sitting in the coach's box. And, um, you know, obviously the, the defeat um, was incredibly disappointing. And I think... Yeah, that might have been a night we sort of all looked at each other. And I mean, I, I was clearly borderline continuing, whether I wanted to or not. It's really the club's decision at that point. Um, but I think the field players just said, well, okay, we're, we're close. So we need to knuckle down and, and make sure that we, you know, give it another good crack. So, um, yeah, I mean, Haas was never in doubt. He was always going to play for another 10 years after that. And um, 
I think there's probably only myself and Andrew Thompson as the older ones that were probably on the borderline of whether we, we continued or not. But um, I managed to convince Tomo of a game, oh, um, Grant Thomas over a game of snooker um, that I'm, wor- I'm worthy of a, a, a 12 more months. So um, I'm just lucky I'm better snooker player than him. Cause, uh, that's what we, we used uh, the snooker table to work out whether I was playing. And so, um, yeah, Long answer to your question, but yeah, there would have been a bit of a resolve between some of the, the players, the particular ones that missed the final and the, some of the older ones that we're not too far away here. We've got something special, so. I always recall you playing well in finals. Uh, the 90, through the 04 period against Sydney in the semi and the, the final against Adelaide in, in 05, the famous Harvey game and obviously the grand final itself in, in 97. But the, the last one from... From me, what's uh, post-football life uh, look like for, for you? You said you played footy for a little while. I understand there were quite a few ex-Saints sort of around that competition. I know Troy Schwartz had a bit to do with Sorrento and various other clubs in, in that comp, but, but with leading teams and et cetera, what have you been up to post-retirement? Yeah, so um, uh, apart from having kids and um, um, playing some footy, I've uh, been heavily involved with leading teams. And so leading teams had a pretty significant presence the Saints through, you know, 94 through to 97, 98, and then again in, in the um, early to mid-2000s. Um, and so I, I've, I've worked with leading teams for um, 10 years while I played and, and then part-time, um, uh, sorry, part-time while I played and then for another, um, uh, what it's been now, another 13 years or so full-time since I left playing footy. So uh, I'm a director of leading teams. I work with all sorts of organisations and teams working through, uh, you know, helping them to perform at a higher level as an organisation or as a team, and a lot of things I learned through footy and and uh, experience in, in good and bad teams, uh, being able to sort of help other teams um, deal with their performances through some of the work that I've uh, done previously with other organisations, but also yeah, my experiences with um, again being a part of a you know an elite sporting team and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Been in. Um, and- been in any uh, music music video clips lately, or was 1995 <laughs> a, a one-off with Tism? Um, if I had my way, I'd be in a lot more uh, video <laughs> clips, but um, that's probably my greatest uh, claim to fame. Um, my Greg the Stop Sign cameo. It's, it was it was I loved it because Tism's one of my favourite bands, and I love music. So um, when the invite came out that they wanted a few players, I jumped at it. No one else really knew who Tism were. Could really care less. Um, so I'm, I was all over it and um, I've got a great photo uh, at home of uh, the band and, and, and myself and uh, yeah, quite a thrill. I still get it out every now and then and show um, people, guests, the, the video clip and every now and then I've got a, a client that will Google me and come up with uh, Greg the Stop Sign clip and want to show me during a work session. So um, if that's what I'm known for, then so be it. It's not a bad thing. I think we're allowed to use seven seconds of it before an intro for you to, for this. So <laughs> might try and do that. Um, but yeah, the last, last one I had was during the nineties, you, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's seven kids, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, the, the older ones are mostly girls, I think, is it? No, the oldest is, the oldest is a girl and she's yep. 28 and the youngest is a girl and the rest are boys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause majority of the nineties seemed like, well, I mean, we didn't know at the time, but we'd almost be able to fill the AFLW team with the amount of girls that were coming through with all the players in, yep. in the club there at one point. Um, uh, did any of them show much interest in following your footsteps or getting getting into the game themselves? Um, 
Oh, the oldest two uh, haven't, um, but I've got uh, one, two, three, four boys playing footy. Um, so uh, there's a couple that are sort of under uh, 19, under 18, 17 sort of level, and then I've got a couple that's sort of under 12s and under 14. So, um, yeah, they all love their footy. They're all passionate. I, I reckon there's a couple there that would like you know, play for the Saints uh, at some point. So, um, who knows what will happen. But, um, yeah, um, my Sundays and Saturdays from here on in, well, post-COVID, uh, will be, you know, footy, footy on Saturday and footy on Sunday. So, um, it's enjoyable to watch them play. And, um, you know, they just love it when I give them advice and uh, direction. Um, they run a million miles, so I've learned to slowly learn just to keep my mouth shut and just let them uh, play and enjoy themselves. But uh, it's hard to do sometimes. Well, well, if I get set on the take number 53, then. <laughs> I was going to say, Geelong and Collingwood playing tonight have probably got more father-sons in that game than we've ever had in our history. So, fingers crossed, uh, the wheel does turn eventually. But, Frankie, thanks very much. You're at the club for the best part of two decades. A great story of persistence. And then, you obviously, ended up playing 250 games, which I think less than 2% of AFL players ever do. So, a lot to be proud of. And, as I said, your record in big games was, was excellent. So, so, thanks for joining us and, uh, and good luck with everything going forward. No, thanks, fellas. Appreciate the invite, and I really enjoy your podcast. So, thanks very much. Go Saints! Some of our decision making with the ball in our defensive half, giving the ball back, they scored six goals, four from really us just kicking the ball to them or making an error, um, which was something that we've been pretty good at and something that we'll keep working on. But we've just got to, you know, be a bit patient. And, you know, some of our mark play on stuff, we were around 50%, which we're usually around 26, 27%. So we just need to be patient in the game. Even when the, the scores were level, you know, we're trying to all win the game when we still have two minutes 35 where we can just play the game out and build the ball up. And Look ahead to round seven against the Adelaide Crows, three and three, really interesting juncture. We haven't beaten Adelaide since uh, July of 2011. So it's been nine years since we beat the Crows. We beat them by 103 points that night in Neil Craig's last game as coach of the Crows. A lot has changed in the world uh, since then, but uh, we're hoping that one thing does change this week and we, we break that hoodoo. Uh, it's an interesting matchup. We play Adelaide in their first game back in South Australia. So you think they'd be a little bit fresh and, and rejuvenated, but uh, they've really struggled, obviously, percentage of 52. They struggle to score. Rory Sloan's out, who's a, a spiritual leader within that club, which which certainly helps us. Taylor Walker will come back. He kicks six goals a game uh, once a year, and it's usually when they play us. So I'm sure he'll have a day out, as is normally the case. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's one of those ones where they've got to get back on the bike. They're playing uh, a side that's really battling. Uh, yes, it's away from home, but they've got to get used to that. They're not going to be at home again for a long time. So, um, hugely important game. Uh, it, very interesting to see what they do at the selection table. Obviously, Ben Long out for three weeks is one they have to replace. Jonathan Marsh, you, you sense, is a, a quiet game away from getting dropped. He had a quiet game, uh, three possessions on the weekend. So, do they opt for Ryder or something like that? Um, but yeah, I'd say that Long gets replaced and, and I think they'll make at least two additional changes. It's just whether they go with... Um, I'm hearing rumours too that Dan Hanabry is a heck of a lot closer than they suggest. And they, they actually think he's right to go. It's just whether they pull the trigger or not. But um, talking to a few people today, I think St Kilda consider Dan Hanabry to be fit and available. It's just whether they, are, whether they pull the trigger straight away. So um, yeah, we, we await the selection news, but very important game. 
extremely important game. I think I said on uh, during the week in our chat that it's the most important game we've played in a very, very long time because of the consequences if we lose it. But, um, yeah, I still see it that way. Huge game. Yeah, I probably would be putting Hanabry on a plane unless he's 101% rear there go. He's, it's the flight that's... He sits, he'll sit there and for a bit and be cramped up and... It, that's when the tammy the hammies were a little bit tight and maybe the second week is the one where he he's someone again maybe replace one of the other players or because it's gonna be a it's a five day turnaround i believe isn't it so um yeah it, it could be a yeah maybe bring him back the second week but um but it's funny you talk about Texas one game like playing one game a year he's the new new kurt tier but he only ever plays against the kilda um but yeah it's 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 going to be hard replacing Ben Long too because he's sort of really bolted down a position this year. Um, it, is Webb's the right to go? Is I, I'm thinking who who's going to actually come in and take a spot for him? Um, I mean, someone's got three weeks to prove themselves to stay in the team. Go Webster maybe just for the yeah. solid frame. I mean, there's be a temptation to pick a kid, and and I, I hope we do pick the likes of Burns and, and Bytle at some stage. But I just wonder whether Webster in a game like this and the circumstances might be the way to go. Is, it, is that going to be maybe his last opportunity to really prove himself? That's, Possibly. Yeah. Um, but ever who it is needs to really come in and take that position and make it theirs and say, kick me out again. Don't, don't, don't let them do it. Um, just I sort of want to see these players fighting for position. Make, make the team not be able to kick him out of the side. Um, it just didn't feel like that on the weekend. It wasn't a lot of this player is really holding themselves. This player is really holding themselves. There's a lot of replaceables at the minute. Yeah, well, Adelaide have been terrible. And I suppose if there's any team that's going to play him back in a form, it's probably us because we tend to do that with teams that are terrible. But yeah, I I think you're right. Webster's probably the obvious one to bring in. But I think there's another guy who, who must be close. And Dylan Roberton, you know, playing that kind of, Free man across half back. You know, he 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 doesn't need to take a direct defender, uh, direct opposition. He he can play that that loose man. Ben Long's been really impressive with his hardness, and that's something that I wasn't expecting. I thought that he's going to be a bit of that Robertson kind of play a bit loose, um, you know, quick off the off half back flank and, and down the wings. But but he's he's really impressed me with his toughness and his hardness. And I think Robertson, while he does he does play a bit of that loose man in defence. He also has that underrated hardness and toughness uh, and a bit of that leadership that I think we lacked last week in that second half to settle things down, calm, calm the guys down and, and just kind of, you know, let's, let's get a hold of ourselves here and, and, and really let's regroup and, and get back in this game. I think Robertson has that ability and it's not just his ability as a, as a footballer, but as a leader and, and uh, someone who can really help control the guys out in the field. Cause I think, I feel like we really lacked leadership in the second half of last week. Um, so, so Robertson's one guy that I'd, I'd be seriously looking at, depending on his fitness, obviously. And there were some concerns early in the year um, as to whether he was he was right to play. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if, if he's good to go because he's one that I would seriously consider. But Webster, I think he also underrated toughness. You know, hits the ball hard, loves to drive the ball out of defence, which which we needed again you know, last week. Uh, someone to 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 really kick long and and break the lines. Uh, and take the game on, I think would, would really help us. I'm not sure that that either of Bytel or Burns are, are a, a great 
in for, for long, but it, it really remains to be seen if there's any other outs. I think Marsh is, is again, the obvious one, as, as you said, Parker. I think there are guys that could come in and play that defensive forward role um, that Marsh has been brought in to do and, and probably do it better than him, given matchups. Um, another one is, is Ryder. Does Ryder get a game? He obviously knows Adelaide really well. He knows the ground. He knows the players. He knows the matchups. And he'd almost be like a, a, a coach out there as well. Um, and another leader out in the ground, which I think would be really important. So really looking forward to, to seeing what they do this week. We, we spoke about, um, you know, the, the coaching panel and selection team kind of making example of, of the guys. And, and maybe this is a good time to do it. I'm not sure that, that guys like Marshall and, and what are, are the guys to drop at the moment, but it might be a good time to bring in Ryder to give him some assistance and some leadership and, and some guidance out in the field when, when, He's struggling because that was probably Rowan Marshall's worst game for Sakilda. Yeah. Um, and, and he's been smashed by some of those bigger arc when you look at Grundy and Gorn over the last few years. But um, hasn't he, looked beaten. He looked like a fish out of water. He looked like a fish out of water last week. And that was, that was concerning. But a, a lot of the guys did. So I'm trying not to think about it too much. But it could be a good week to bring Ryder back in to, to settle things down. One thing yeah. I do think we need to do is bring... Um, if we are bringing some players in, bringing in some pace, Adelaide are looking very slow. They are very chippy. They're very just, they, they don't know, look like they know what they're doing going forward. So if we can have the players that are, we've been having so far this year with Loney and just, just those small players who are giving all the pressure on the ball, hold them up, make them kick over us again. And, They've, they have really, really struggled moving the ball. Um, just Let's just get the pace and break their lines. Well, since uh, round one, when they kicked 11 goals, five against Sydney, they've kicked five goals, five, uh, four goals, five, seven goals, four, so 11 shots, four goals, 10, and five goals, four. So they, they've kicked scores in the 30s four times and, and one score in the 40s. So they've struggled to score. So we've got to, if we put on any level of defensive pressure and, and have our run going, surely we, we would have enough offensive talent the other way. But stranger things have happened. And if we set ourselves up to win both of these games, it would be uh, most unfortunate if we were to lose both of them, obviously having dropped the other Fremantle game. And obviously we need a bit of momentum going into play Port Adelaide, who will be at the very least, top two when we play them the following week. And um, obviously, the fixture uh, post that. We'll find out what that means. Obviously, that the club opting to fly between Noosa and Adelaide, which uh, makes sense when you consider that they're only going to fly 23 players to Adelaide. They'd have to uproot their entire setup in, in Noosa to fly all the way down to Adelaide and base themselves there, knowing they've got to go back to Queensland anyway. So I can kind of see the, the, the sentiment uh, behind it. But... Fingers crossed, huge game against uh, Adelaide on Monday. It's, it's always nice if you can tick off wins against sides you haven't beaten for a very, very long time. And, and Adelaide and Port, for that matter, uh, are two of those, but, but the Crows in particular. Um, how, how, was the, how was the celebration amongst Saints fans when they announced that we are going to play Port in Melbourne a few weeks ago? Yeah. And then to find out, not only are we not going to China, not, we're not going to play them in Melbourne... But now we're playing them in what was supposed to be a home game. We're going to play them in Adelaide. The week after we play Adelaide in Adelaide and we're basing ourselves in Noosa. So it's in just, front of, of 30,000 Port Adelaide fans, mind you. And a five-day break. Yeah, and a five-day break. When they're on top just, of the ladder. So. Everything possible that could be against 
Uh, what was we going to previously do? It just uh, well, we'll just uh, we'll just make the win all the more. Uh, we'll just make the win all the more meritorious. Every time we play Port Adelaide in Adelaide, <laughs> we, we usually get beaten by less than a goal. So um, that suggests we'll be in the game. Um, so so hopefully, but obviously we're going to get through the Crows first of all. Some some listener questions, and I did put a uh, put a tweet out as well in re- earlier today in regards to any particular ex-Saints you'd like to hear from, just tweet those through to us. So we did have someone this afternoon say Justin Peckett, so well done, correct, Wade. Yeah, which came through very quickly. But uh, just send those through to us and we'll, we'll endeavour to, to track those down. They could be obscure. If you want to hear from Daniel Healy or something like that, just fire it through. Uh, or perhaps, a little bit, perhaps something a little bit more obvious, like a Justin Kaczynski or something like that. Happy to, uh, to chase that up. But some questions via the socials. Uh, NB Bowls Future. I'll uh, throw this one to you, H. Has Brad Hill impressed you so far, both on and off the field? Off the field, it sounds like he's definitely been a positive to the club. Um, I mean, every single photo I've seen of him taken at training, he's got a massive smile on his face. Um, he, he's loving being there, loving, but I think it hasn't 100% got onto the field yet. Um, I don't know whether he's had a little bit of a tag, a little bit of a just hasn't quite found his spot yet but I mean we've seen flashes the I mean I, I still remember the his first kick in the preseason game against Hawthorne and just, just clear off the boot straight onto the chest and we've just gone oh if we could just have that all year that would but we've seen a few little flashes but we know there's a lot more there and a lot more to come the, the next question comes from one of the, the more passionate saints. You're hard-pressed to, to find a more passionate saint than uh, Michael60 on, on Twitter. And, Parker, I'll, I'll ask you this one. Who's our next inspirational A grader who can try and steady the shit when things go as they did on Saturday? Our Selwood or Cripps or Dusty or Fife? Can we really be a genuine contender until we get one? Uh, well, probably not a, a genuine contender per se. I guess we, we look at the, our A-grade talent. So Brad Hill, who we just spoke about, He's more of an A-grade talent, but not necessarily the you know the guy that's going to split a pack open and you know take the contested mark inside 50 that you might get. Like Fife took that mark against us on the halftime siren. Bons and Pally going back with the flight against Sydney. Um, Jack Steele is probably our closest to that type of player, but whether he's got the natural brilliance of the others remains to be seen. Uh, Gresham and, and Billings are guys that can potentially you know certainly as A-grade talent, but. I think that's a thing. Our potential A-graders or A-graders are Marshall, Hill, Gresham, Billings, those types of players who would be in that category. Um, I think Cripps, Selwood, Dusty and Fife are unique beasts. They're, they're arguably the best four players in the comp. Not many teams have a player like that. We don't. Um, hopefully in time that, that does come. Max King might be that player. Um, not yet, but, but obviously in, in a couple of years' time, he's got those attributes potentially about him. Um, I don't know, H, have you got the, the question? Uh, one from Mindel FC off Twitter. Um, yeah, after saying we're both, both beating uh, top sides and losing the bottom sides, how far off do you think our consistency will be? And do you think we can push for top eight and be a real finals contender? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think it just shows that we are still developing as, as a side. I think it shows that we're, you know, we're kind of middle of the pack. We're, we're kind of average because we play above average at times but below average at other times and and when you you combine all that together we're kind of a middle of the road middle of the ladder kind of team at the moment we have the ability to play really well against good teams but we also have the ability to completely throw it away like we did on the weekend we did in round one uh, against teams that we should really be beating by six or ten goals Uh, 
once we fix that consistency and, and, you know, we, we really learn how to play four quarters as a team, then really the, the sky's the limit. And, and you'd think that we've got a couple more years of, of bringing talent in and, and the ability to bring in elite players. Um, you know, hopefully it's not too far away, but I think that we can, we could be a force in the competition if everything keeps developing and we kind of get some of those, those kinks out of our, our armor, because we, we know what we can do when we play good football. We know what we do when we play good team football. And, and yes, we don't have that A grader like a Fife or a Dusty, but you know, we've, we've got unique talents of our own in, in guys like Marshall and Gresham and, and Max King who could, could be anything. Uh, so it, it really is a matter of, of getting the guys to play four quarters. And when they do that, the sky's the limit. And just adding to the end of that, I was going to say, basically winning, winning the games we should, and then just pinching a couple that we probably shouldn't, that that's where you start. That's where the consistency gets. So you, you win the games that you should, that that's, that's your starting point. Jordan Pierce uh, asked a similar question and then obviously linking it into our, our youth as well. And, and probably also I'd say the, the inexperience of the fact that with so many players coming into the club, that the lack of experience playing together necessarily. And Matt Swanee asking about um, Seb Ross and obviously speaking of the frustration, we sort of touched on Seb a little bit earlier in regards to his form. Um, yes, there's always been issues over perhaps disposal and, and the amount of goals maybe he does kick, but is a very creative player on the inside and you need him obviously complimenting guys like Hill, Jones, uh, Billings, those sorts of players. So still an important role to play. I mean, Seb's out of form. Uh, he's not no good. He's just out of form. So um, hopefully that does turn around in due time. But guys, it's a, it's a long wait when you, when you lose on a Saturday and you've got to play the following Monday. But um, fingers crossed we, we don't start the week in a horrible fashion. But Need to get the uh, need to get the wheels moving again straight away. So fingers crossed they can do that. And good luck. Hopefully it's not quite as uh, depressing a post mortem next week. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, and yeah, we'll go into that five day break and get some good practice for the what is it, nineteen game or how many games in nineteen days or something? In nineteen days. Yeah, so there'll be a little bit of practice for it, hopefully, and get get that conditioning right for it. <laughs> 